Well, it's good to be with you today and uh, to be able to meet together with some degree of freedom uh, after many uh, months of not being able to do so. And uh, we're going to look this morning at uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21. Philippians chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21, where Paul writes, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Uh, The time of the pandemic has been a time when we've all been reminded of our mortality. The whole world has been reminded of that And uh, it's good for us, therefore, to consider this morning our future hope, if we are Christians, and uh, to remember uh, the wonderful things that God has already done and will do for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the world crowds us in, problems weigh us down, sin robs us of peace and joy. It's easy to become absorbed in the here and now, And then the future, the consummation of all things, seems remote. And also we forget the desperate plight of the lost. I wonder as we've perhaps been concerned in these past months for our own safety, have we prayed for those uh, who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and who have been even more apprehensive than perhaps we have been? Uh, Paul is writing to the Christians in Philippi who had experienced God's grace. Paul had gone clearly guided by God, the vision of the man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. He'd gone to Philippi to preach the gospel there. Lydia had believed, a slave girl had believed, a jailer and his family had believed. And so a a church had come into being, a church uh, that was a partner with Paul in the work of the gospel as he moved on. And uh, something had happened to them which had also happened to Paul. It's at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Where these people had come to realise that they could not please God. They could not satisfy God by the things that they did. Even if they were very zealous in doing them. And Paul really tells us earlier in this chapter how zealous he had been uh, to do what he thought pleased God. And he really said, my record compares to anybody else's record. But then he says something changed as he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. And he came to realize that, in fact, he couldn't please God by what he did. In fact, what he was doing was displeasing God. And uh, he says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. The things that were in black figures were now in red figures. They were debts. They were responsibility he had to bear. He said, for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. He's saying that he, he had to set aside all his religious achievements, all those things that he was proud of, if he was to know Jesus Christ as his saviour. I wonder if that's happened to you. Can you say, yes, that's, 
That's what I have experienced too. And he says he wanted to gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own uh, that comes from the law. In other words, a righteousness which comes from keeping the law. But he realized there was another kind of righteousness. And it was essential for him to know that if he was to have peace with God. And he says it is by faith in Christ. He put his trust in the very Jesus whom he had been seeking to persecute. And he says it's a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So Paul experienced that. These Christians in Philippi experienced it. And you can find out very clearly if you're a Christian, if you ask yourself this question, on what is your future hope based? Is it based upon what you are doing, what you have done? Are you someone who thinks, well, I'm, I'm actually better than most people, uh, and I've got a pretty good, I know I do things wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty good, and I'm hoping that when I stand before God in judgment, I will be accepted because of what I've done. Well, if that's what you're saying, then you're not a Christian. You don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour because you haven't experienced what Paul and these Philippian Christians had experienced. And if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and him only, and his righteousness, his perfect life, his sinless life, and then his death on the cross for your sins, and his resurrection as he triumphed over sin and death and hell itself, then you are a Christian. It's where our trust is, it's where our confidence is. And Paul is reminding these people of, of this great change that has taken place in their life. Has it happened in your life? It needs to. If you are to have the future hope that we're looking at together this morning. And he says that those who have experienced this wonderful grace as he had are, are wanting to know more of Jesus. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I, I want to grow in my faith. That's again a mark of really knowing the Lord Jesus. You don't just stop at that point of experience, experiencing forgiveness. You want to become more like the Savior and uh, to serve him. So all Christians share in the, the same experience of salvation, the same longing to live a holy life, and they also share in this future hope that these verses speak of. And so I want us to look at this hope that Paul describes here. And it comes first in this statement. Our citizenship is in heaven. For the Christian, our citizenship is not in this earth only. We may have citizenship in some earthly country, but we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is our homeland. And the picture that he uses here was particularly relevant to people who lived in Philippi, because Philippi was a Roman colony. It was a little piece of Rome, though it was hundreds of miles away from Rome, just as there are countries around the world that have had long-standing links with Britain and belong to the Commonwealth and see themselves as linked to Britain. Well, the Philippians saw themselves as Roman citizens. They were a part of Rome and they thought about it and what a wonderful thing it would be to go there. And uh, they had citizenship in Rome. Paul himself was a Roman citizen and uh, there were times when he made a claim to his rights and privileges as a Roman citizen when he had been mistreated, for instance, in Philippi. He did that. 
And uh, so these people belonged to Rome. Their names were enrolled on the list of Roman citizens. They spoke the language of Rome. They wore the clothes of Rome. They were governed by Roman law. They enjoyed the protection of Rome. They worshipped the emperor as their saviour. They said, Caesar is Lord. Uh, But they'd never been to Rome itself. Uh, They longed to do so. Perhaps they would never go there. But they belonged to Rome. And in a sense, Rome embraced them. And Paul is saying, well, for Christians, we're not a colony of Rome. We're a colony of heaven. Every Christian is a citizen of heaven. We've been born from above. God, by his spirit, has made us alive in Christ. Our names are written on heaven's roll. They're written in heaven. Our lives are governed by heaven, according to heavenly standards. Our rights are secured by heaven. Our interests are protected. And we've got many friends in heaven, family members. And they're there now, and we will follow one day. And we shall be in heaven with them. There's an inheritance in heaven. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We may never have an inheritance in this world, but Christians have an inheritance in heaven. And uh, there's a place for us. There's a resting place, a mansion. Jesus said to the disciples on the last night he was with them, in my Father's house are many mansions, many resting places, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am there, you may be also. And of course, in heaven, the Lord himself is there. And that's for us the heart of of heaven, being with the Lord, being with God, and his dwelling with us. And I wonder whether we think about that citizenship, about belonging uh, to heaven. When I was traveling with uh, UFM, I went to a number of countries, and when you got off the plane, the first thing you had was passport control, or whatever else it was called. And uh, if you've gone through passport, you know there are different queues. Now, when I came to Heathrow or one of the British airports, then I went through the, the UK citizens, and it was quite quick. But if I went to another country, then I was a, an outsider, an alien, a stranger, étranger. And I had to go to another queue because I didn't belong. They wanted to check out who I was and could I come in. And it's a wonderful thing to come home, show your passport, and you're through. No questions asked. And Paul is saying that that's the Christian's position as far as heaven is. We have a citizenship in heaven. It's our homeland. And it's been conferred by God in his grace. We don't deserve it. But he's freely given it. There are people who come to this country and they they want to gain uh, British citizenship. And when they have it, they prize it and cherish it. And there are certain things they have to do in order to prove that they should receive it. But, But God freely gives us this citizenship. He qualifies us, Paul says, when he writes to the Colossians. As he gives joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He's qualified us. He's 
rescued us, he goes on to say, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When he writes to the Ephesians, he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. There's a, a foundation of God's purposes in Old and New Testament and supremely in his son, Jesus Christ. And we're, we're not foreigners, we're not strangers. In other words, there's no possibility of a Christian arriving in heaven and they're saying, who are you? Because our citizenship is in heaven. It's already been conferred. What a wonderful privilege. Again, Paul writes about it when he writes to the Ephesians. In the first chapter, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The blessings of heaven are already being experienced, and there are other blessings yet to be experienced in eternity. In chapter 2, he says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. The Lord Jesus Christ is already in heaven. And because we belong to him, because we're in him, and he is there, we're with him in heaven. In other words, our future is guaranteed by his presence in heaven. And Paul says, in the coming ages, God will show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Heaven will be filled with people who are there entirely because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Why are they there? Why will we be there? Entirely because of his kindness to us. And that's why every Christian longs to be in heaven. We, we think about heaven, do we? We think about the future that is guaranteed in Christ uh, the patriarchs, we're told, looked forward. In Hebrews 11, we're told that Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham lived his whole life living in tents. Uh, if you've ever been a camper just for a few weeks, you know it's nice to camp, but it's nice to get home and to get to a solid house again and your, your own bed. Well, it's no wonder that Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations. And again, we're told in that same chapter of Hebrews that they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, a city, the city of God, heaven itself. What a glorious hope that is. What an important thing it is for us to Make it clear to people around us that whether we live or whether we die, we have this future hope because our citizenship is in heaven. We're going to sing a hymn later uh, which thinks about heaven and it speaks about it as Emmanuel's land. And one of the things it says is the king there in his beauty without a veil is seen. See Jesus face to face and we'll be like him. How wonderful that is. Do you look forward to that? You can't wait to see him and to be with him. Of course, there are times when we doubt and we struggle. Another hymn says, I look at heaven and long to enter in. And then it says, 
yet I hear a voice that bids me come. You know, sometimes someone points and you say, me, me? Isn't it a wonderful thing that in Christ we're called to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven? It's no wonder that Paul speaks as he does about those who are earthly-minded. He says at the end of verse 19, their mind is on earthly things. But he says to these Christians in Philippi, remember to be a Christian in the first century was hard. When Paul was in Philippi, he had been persecuted. The Philippians had seen him arrested and beaten and imprisoned. And uh, they too suffered, as all the early Christians did. And life was difficult just because they were Christians, as it is for many Christians today around the world. Um, But our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. It isn't Rome we're looking to if we're in Philippi. It's God and his dwelling place and the Saviour who is there. And you see him there without a veil. And he's seeking to encourage them. It should encourage us too. Sometimes we think, well, am I going to be in heaven or not? Well, he says, God's already conferred our citizenship. If you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, if you've given up all hope of being justified by what you do, then God has graciously qualified you and uh, enabled you to share in this wonderful privilege. But then the second thing is that we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're looking forward uh, to a royal visit. And uh, it's looked forward to with joyful anticipation, eager expectation. Sometimes as Christians, we don't think a great deal about the second coming. Years ago, quite a lot of people came to faith in Jesus Christ because of preaching about the second coming. And people being asked, are you ready when he comes? Sometimes we don't think of it so much today. And then others are are concerned with the details of their understanding of what exactly is going to happen. And that's the main thing for them. But Paul is saying that something that all Christians share is this eager expectation that one day a saviour is coming from heaven and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to hold together the cross uh, where the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price of our sins and his resurrection and also his coming, the consummation of all things. That happens every time we meet around the Lord's table. Um, because uh, Paul uh, speaks about the time the Lord Jesus broke bread and drank wine. He said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. And so as Christians, we're both looking back to the place where our sins were dealt with and looking forward to that day when the Saviour will come. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And take you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. So we find relief at the cross and we rejoice at his coming. And we need to hold those two things together. It's because of the cross that we rejoice in his coming. It's because our sins have been dealt with that we have this glorious hope. The Savior is coming. And he comes as the judge of all people. But the judge is our Savior. Uh, So that we read in the New Testament, when he comes, he comes to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. 
What that means is to bring us into the fullness of the experience of that salvation we've already tasted. And that will happen when he comes. Who is he? Well, he's the Lord. He's God. Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. He's Jesus. He's Jesus who saves us from our sins. And he is Christ, the one divinely anointed to come as the saviour of all believers, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we long for him to come. At the end of the book of Revelation, we're told, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And there's that response, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. How often do we think about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will finally deliver us from sin, will finally vindicate all God's people, and will bestow on us a glorious inheritance in a renewed universe. He is coming. And then that, that truth, that reality, was something that meant so much to the early Christians, that it should mean so much to us today. Because when he comes, the whole church, those who are living at his coming and those who have died in the Lord, will be gloriously reunited in heaven. The living and uh, those who've died will be forever with the Lord. All the saints of all ages will be glorified before all. What a day that will be, the day of general resurrection. And that sense of being part of it. You know, people often think about great occasions in this world and uh, they want to be there. Well, there's no greater occasion than that day when the Lord comes. And uh, those who are dead hear his voice and are raised, raised to judgment. But the judge is our saviour. He's the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And our citizenship in is in heaven. And we will hear those words, come, you blessed of my father. What encouragement it is to know that as history moves forward, it's moving to that appointed end when the Lord Jesus Christ will come in glory and in power. So our, our citizenship is in heaven. And then we're eagerly awaiting a saviour from there. And then thirdly, he's going to do something very wonderful. Verse 21, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is one of the things he's coming to do. And Paul is saying that he's going to change our bodies. Uh, the translation vile body is not a good one. Uh, it's speaking about lowliness and humiliation. Our, our earthly bodies, really, is what he's speaking about. Because the New Testament emphasizes the importance of the whole person, body and soul. Uh, in pagan Greek thinking, the body was the prison house of the soul. The body was what held you back from your higher spiritual aspirations. But the Bible never sees it like that. It's a, a mortal body. It's a weak body. It's suited for earth. But it is God-given. And God redeemed us body and soul. Uh, Mary, as she thinks about God's amazing kindness to her, uh, speaks uh, about her humble estate. Uh, and she's been called to this great privilege. Well, we have a a humble estate 
and our bodies are, are subject to passions and to pains and to limitations. We're under sin's curse. In our bodies we are weak and we suffer and we are sick and sometimes there's deformity and there will be decay and there will be futility and ultimately that last enemy of death and we shall experience death unless the Lord comes. And Paul is saying to these Philippians that these lowly bodies, when Christ comes, are going to be transformed. He's going to raise those who have died from the grave. And they're going to be changed and transformed. And those who are alive will be changed and transformed. And we'll be given a body that is conformed to the body of his glory. They'll be like his glorious body. This same body will be changed, will be transformed and made fit for heaven. And uh, that outward appearance will be reflecting the true inner state, what God's done inside. And body and soul will be transformed by his grace. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he speaks about the resurrection of the body and he speaks at length about it. And uh, he says this, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, that is, die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. And he's talking about that again here in Philippians. And he says, uh, when that happens, the saying will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This great transformation and this great refashioning of our bodies, this raising of the dead. It's why whenever uh, a Christian is, is buried, it's, it's a significant time. It's a time when we're conscious that death has come to this person, but we are, we are burying them in sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's talking about the resurrection of the body. We're not simply saying at that point that we believe that the Christian who has died, who is absent from the body, is with the Lord. That is certainly true. But we're saying that this body, which we lay in the ground, which we sow, if you like, will one day be raised and will be transformed. It's an amazing thing to believe and to rejoice in. And sometimes I've known Christians who, when they've lost a loved one, say, you know, I, I feel it's going to be so hard to leave them there, to leave them alone in the grave. And other people say, well, it's not, that body's not really them. Well, the Bible says it is them. And also, it's, they're not alone. Uh, there's a, a lovely answer in the Shorter Catechism uh, about the benefits which believers receive from Christ when they die. And this is what it says. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and immediately pass into glory. That's what happens to our souls. And their bodies, 
And then I love this phrase, being still united to Christ. Rest in their graves till the resurrection. That body is still united to Christ. He redeemed us body and soul. And uh, one day he will raise us and we will have that glorious body. And the next question in the catechism says, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection, the general resurrection? At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. This glorious hope, uh, united to Christ, nothing can separate us from God's love in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing in the future, not death itself. We are united to him. And of course, Paul realizes this is a, an amazing thing to believe. And uh, so he says, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. We cannot understand God's act of creation when there was nothing and then this vast universe came into being. We cannot understand how the bodies of those who have died will be raised as we think of the decay that follows death, of those who have died in all sorts of circumstances, in bombs, in fires, lost at sea, and, and so on. And yet he's saying that our bodies are known uh, to God, and those bodies will be raised from wherever they may lie because we are united to Christ. And he simply says, it's according to the operation of his ability, his energy, there is this divine, energetic act which brings back to life the body of those who have died in Christ. And uh, it's a wonderful thing. And uh, those bodies are going to be like his glorious body, never to die again. You know, we always need to keep in mind the, the ultimate glory and the, uh, the preciousness of believers to the Lord. Isn't it amazing that he should care for us so much. Every part of us, he redeems. You know, there are times when uh, Christians are very ill and the people who are caring for them see their, their body being affected by some terrible disease and uh, they lose weight and they lose the ability to do things and they, in some cases, become totally dependent upon care. And, and it's a care for the body. Why? Well, because... We are precious body and soul. Not only precious to those who love us, but precious to God. And uh, one day, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will transform these lowly bodies, these earthly bodies, so that they will be like his glorious body. Do You see why Paul is saying, don't be earthly minded. Don't just think about the present, but think about the future. Sometimes as Christians, we just look to that first stage where we die and we're absent from body but present with the Lord. But look beyond that to this great day of resurrection when those who have died in Christ will be raised. God's ultimate purpose in Christ is the reason why we have confidence about everything that happens to us in this world. It's why Paul can say when he writes to the Romans in chapter 8, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. That's why it's all for good, because God has a purpose. And everything that happens to us is part of that purpose. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, changing us inwardly that we might be like Christ, but also transforming our bodies that they might be like his glorious body, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. God has decided already that his people will be glorified. And that's why everything that happens to us is part of his eternal purpose. And it's ultimately working for our good. It's not everything isn't good. There are lots of painful things, but we know that it's moving us inevitably to that destination that God has determined when we shall be like him. Earlier in this, le- this letter to the Philipp- Philippians, he says that he's confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, that day of resurrection. That's when the work will be complete. And he writes to the Corinthians and says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then he says this, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, and what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that's what he's talking about in these verses, our future hope, this eternal reality. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're eagerly awaiting a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by his power, he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Those are the, they're unseen but they're eternal. And we need to keep that hope shining brightly in our hearts. We need to know the presence of God day by day. And we need to pray earnestly for those who, in Paul's words, are without hope because they're without God in this world. Is that your situation this morning? You don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Paul knew him, as these Christians in Philippi knew him, as those of us here are Christians know him. You don't have that hope. Seek God. Why would anyone say, well, I'm just happy with what I got. I'm happy with where I am. Without any future, any thought for the future and where we might be. How can anyone say, I'm not interested in that. I'm, I'm not interested in belonging to heaven. I'm not interested in seeing Jesus. I'm not interested in seeing my body being raised and being forever with God. How could you possibly say that? And Paul wants to encourage these Christians to see it and to believe in it. Perhaps you... Uh, you watched the Olympic Games and uh, saw some of the wonderful things that people did in those games for all the problems that they had. And I remember hearing a number of athletes standing up and being interviewed after they'd won the gold medal. And the sort of things they said was, you know, I, I dreamt of this day. When I was doing my training, when I had injuries, and I wonder whether I've even been here, I used to dream that one day I would win the gold medal. And that, it's happened. My dreams have been fulfilled. Only a few athletes had that experience. Most were disappointed. But no Christian will be disappointed. These aren't dreams. These are realities. And we need to rejoice with all our hearts that we look in anticipation now. Our citizenship in heaven, our Saviour's coming. He's going to transform us. And one day we'll experience that reality. 
And sometimes you've heard athletes using words like this, it's amazing. And one day we'll be there. And it'll be amazing. It'll be wonderful. It won't be because of us. It will be entirely because of him. How wonderful our God is. How wonderful our Savior is. And so we worship him.